Welcome to Counter Stories, a show by people of color for people of color and everyone else. I'm Holly Lee, owner of the Other Media Group and producer of Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway, executive director of the Arts Us Center for the African Diaspora and senior partner at Dendros Group. And our usual uh, co-hosts, Luz Maria Frias and Don Eubanks, could not join us today. We do want to send our condolences to Don, who lost another member of his extended family to COVID. Um, but we do have a very special guest today, Asha. I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Asha Schaffner. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm the environmental and outdoor education coordinator for St. Paul Parks and Recreation. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, So you and I met uh, a a few months back when uh, I was working with a group of youth from Urban Roots and uh, the project is called River Stories where we talk about kind of the importance of river and the importance of um, maintaining our outdoor spaces and just kind of how being in nature is in our nature, right? Being in nature is in our blood. Um, and so thank you so much. Uh, Asha and some other um, professionals came out and talked with the youth about their different career paths um, and how it plays a role in their lives. And the youth ended up making a, a really big mixed media art project um, that will be on display at the Solidarity Street Gallery here on the east side of St. Paul, September 23rd to 25th. Um, And Asha, you also started the BIPOC Outdoors group on Facebook, correct? Yes, that's right. And and why did you start that? Um, I started that a little over a year ago, um, and it's something I had wanted to do uh, for a few years since I had went to the PGM1 conference, which is People of the Global Majority in Outdoors, Nature, and Environment. And being in that space, and I think that was in 2018, I was like, wow, there's a lot of folks out there, but I just didn't know any of them. Um, And that conference was a national conference. But so I wanted to find out who who are the folks of color, uh, the black folks and the indigenous folks who, um, you know, work in the outdoors that are in the Twin Cities. Um, And I... (laughs) I was worried that it would be just a a handful of us. Um, And so I kind of expanded it to like, you know, for the membership or the intended um, focus to be on black, indigenous and people of color who live in the Twin Cities or live or work in the Twin Cities um, and who also either work and or like play, spend time, recreate outdoors. You know, I I got to. I got to do a shout out because, um, you know, we, we in this humble city space. So let me be real clear. Asha got my wife and I out. Um, fusion, did I say it right? Fit in where you get in? Yeah, Fusion Outdoors. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, so she had us out um, once fishing at uh, Fort Snelling Park um, was one of the events. I think there was another one that happened in the winter that, that we were able to get out, out for. Um, but... We actually, it 
kept going. And so I don't know if we ever get a chance to, to, to share. I never got a chance to share with you, Asha, that uh, we, not just with our friends group, but, but we, we stayed outdoors um, even before COVID hit. And so, you know, we're now, you know, owners of a pop-up camper and we hit state parks and we've got a goal to hit all the state parks. And it really began with that experience fishing out at the pier at, um, at Fort Snelling Park. So, so it, it had an impact, at least on this family. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that, Anthony. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. So that's, that's awesome. And I really wanted to invite you on the show and have this conversation because, um, like Anthony, I'm a very, I love the outdoors. I live across the street from a park and my husband and I are always camping or fishing or, you know, uh, road tripping. And so, um, and I've said this before on the show is like whenever we leave the Twin Cities metro area, if we have to buy bait or if we have to buy food or anything, I don't get out of my car. Uh, my husband has to, because he's a white guy. Um, he goes and does all of that because I've just, you know, I haven't had great experiences in greater Minnesota, um, you know, going into places where I'm told I'm very exotic. <laughs> I think after after yeah. that exotic comment, I was like, from then on, I was like, Jim, if we need anything, you have to be the one to go out and get it. Because I'm just like not, you know, when I'm on vacation and I'm trying to relax, I'm like not in the mood for those sorts of conversations. Um, and so when I joined that BIPOC outdoors group, I was it was great to just kind of see other people and hear their experiences. And also the activities that not only you, Asha, lead, but other um, folks lead too. And just activities that you can go out um, and fish together and camp together or um, even, you know, classes or just places where you can gather and have a discussion about being in the outdoors. And so um, I wanted to have this conversation and just kind of be like, what, what is it like? You know, I want people to know, like, what is it like to be a person of color and, you know, going out and enjoying the outdoors in Minnesota? Yeah, so it's, it's and when you said, you know, when you get into greater Minnesota, like you don't want to get outdoors at the bait shop and whatnot. And I've I feel that. And also, like, there's plenty of racism here, right, in the Twin Cities, right? Right. Um, right. I feel like for the last year or so, I've been, you know, most of my time has been with other BIPOC folks doing stuff in the outdoors. Um, and then in the last, like, month or two, I've started to do a few things outside of our, our group. And... um have have faced a lot of uh things I hadn't faced for the last year right and so um and that that's just here in the Twin Cities right and so um so yeah I guess I just want to throw in there that like yes greater Minnesota but also like right on our own streets here um streets and parks and neighborhoods um as far as what is it what is it like I mean the way that I describe it is, is magical. It's magical to be with a group of folks that look, look like me. And I'm putting air quotes and I know it's a, a radio show, but right. So folks, you know, that, that are from community within community. Um, it's such a unique thing to be able to be in a group of folks that I, I can trust and that look like me and that are, you know, we're, we're just, as one group, it just, it's, it's magical. I can't like, there's nothing I've ever experienced that's like it. Um, I think both like being in, in community with folks that look like you, right. 
um, and being outdoors together and like often moving your body or being active, like those three things I think are like, you know, almost like the trifecta, right. Of like, of, of wellness and well being and healing and like your nervous system kind of settling, settling in. Um, yeah. Magic is the best word I've been able to, to come up with or magical. One of the things that I've I've enjoyed about um, not just getting to participate in, in you know a while ago in, in in the events, but also hearing from folks who have participated in them. There's this thing that happens both here and in Greater Minnesota, and I, and I you know do me wrong. Um, as long as I can speak the lingo, right? As long as I can completely adjust and acculturate to. As long as I can, as long as I do the the work of shifting my cultural center completely to uh, uh, someone else's com- comfortability, I, I haven't had any issues, Greater Minnesota or in the Twin Cities in in an outdoor space. But if if um, if I don't take the pains to do that work, <laughs> right? And I am myself, I'm as loud as I want to, I bring my own music. I keep encountering both in town and out of town, out, not not at 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 um, the the BIPOC outdoor event space, but it, when I'm on my own or if it's just me and my family or if it's me and a couple of friends, this, this feeling of um, somehow I'm intruding on somebody else's peace or somebody else's zen just by nature of me being there, right? Comments that I've heard fishing at Phelan from white folks in this area about... Um, how Hmong people are fishing up all the are fishing, they're messing up the popu- the, the, the fish population, or in, in in other parts of Minnesota, similar comments about indigenous peoples, um, just for their mere presence and participating in the same exact activity. These are some of the things that I've encountered even in the home space, right? And as long as if if I'm unwilling to 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 I don't know acculturate to somebody else's terms and space, um, that's when I really tend to find. Um, this this feeling or this this feeling of unwelcomeness that comes from other folks who won't do the same work to to welcome me in this space, right? So I got to change my lingo, I got to change my vernacular. I I have to use different language, and I have to you know get real Minnesotan in my accents, and I have to be able to drop all the hints that I understand cabin culture in order to 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 get the same niceness welcome that we assume or that we we kind of purport as Minnesotans. So. The by being in group, right? Being in groups of folks who look like us, that that has brought a modicum of safety and where I can be fully who I am and not necessarily get that same sense. And so that that's been important for me, you know, making my rounds to all these different state parks while we camp and whatever um, is going on. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, Anthony. I feel like. Um you know, I, I do some of those things too of like if I'm going to a, a program or a park or something that's outside of community, you know, I might wear like my like this is loon country t-shirt and there's a picture of a Minnesota loon on it, you know. Um, but even that doesn't stop people from saying some real sideways things, right? Um, it's like you've met my mom before. She's a, a, a seven, mid seventy year old white woman who looks nothing like me. I look nothing like her. Um, and I remember being in this 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 workshop, and uh, I was talking to these older f- folks who are white from Kansas, and I was like trying to you know be. I was like, oh, you know, my 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 grandparents are are from Kansas, and. 
you know, and just like the, I don't know, you know what I mean? It's just like kind of this look that you get like, oh, like <laughs> there was also, there was a lady on that same, on that same trip who, you know, she said, uh, I just have to ask. And I was like, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> yep, I just have to ask. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, where are your grandparents from? And that's, and I was like, they're from Kansas. And she just kind of looked at me like, that's not, that's not the answer you're supposed to give. And so it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, we can, we can try and do things. You know, it's again, it's like, I'll wear my Minnesota shirt set sometimes. And then when I'm with community, I'm in my shirt that's, you know, love love our what is it love our love Ooh. our people like you love our food right like i'll have that t-shirt on when i'm with when i'm with you know community um but but yes i i feel you on that absolutely there is a sense of solidarity i was up north um this past weekend with my husband at bovie farm days we happened to be driving by in bovie minnesota and they were having farm days and so we we're like oh yeah you know, stop and see what's what's up and uh, get some mini donuts, you know, and stuff like that. And it was like full of just white, older white people. Um, but this black guy comes out of this restaurant and we just we <laughs> noticed each other. And yep. we just <laughs> and we we just kind of, you know, gave the nod and it was like, OK, cool. You know, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, usually like when I'm I, I just try not to talk to people. Um, most of the time, whenever we go out and I'm standing, you know, I'm, at, I'm on the dock, um, at the river. We were fishing the Mississippi. My husband's gone to, you know, park the car in the trailer and I'm holding onto the boat at the dock and these two men approach me. And I'm like immediately nervous, right? Cause I'm like alone right now. My husband's up the hill at the parking lot and I'm approached by these, these men. Um, and it turns out they were indigenous men. And so they came up and we were talking and then they, they asked me how I thought the rice looked, uh, the wild rice, which I was like, I don't know. You know, like, I don't know how to tell, but I just like, I don't know how to explain just like that moment of like fear turned into, you know, just having like, this fun conversation with these guys who are generally just interested in the wild rice growing in the river and not really, you know, in me at all, <laughs> which was great. Um, and so I think. You know, it's hard to explain that to folks from dominant culture, just that feeling you get when you see that other guy and you nod to each other and you have that moment. Right. And so I know, Anthony, with the camper, you guys have been doing yeah, cross country. Especially during COVID, you know, we, we decided that we were going to turn that into our learning space. We, we scraped money together and rented an RV, um, got the bug and then figured out because of the central network runs deep, somebody was upgrading their own space and we were able to get a pop-up mm -hmm. camper because of, again, central running deep. We, we, we take care of our folks, right? So, um, <laughs> and, 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 and we have encountered, again, it, it's, it's this, this there, there's, there's three different modes, right? There's the mode where we face absolute unwelcome, right? The assumption that because of the color of our skin, we must have certain political views and thoughts on the world and all these things. And if I'm going to talk to you, I'm going to come to you in this defensive space. It's very unwelcoming and problematic. There we also encounter, however, you know, folks who are bending over backwards to try to show that they are welcoming because they don't want to be, you know, in this, in this, in this space. And you know, it, some of those conversations get 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 weird <laughs> um, and awkward and things like that. But we have encountered that. We also have encountered folks who who are willing to engage with us only so much as we are willing to completely acculturate 
to whatever the home space is there. We, we've, we've encountered all of those, those, those different things across the country and, and, and in Minnesota. But what I'll offer is, is there's also this fourth thing that we've encountered where um, folks have curiosity and questions, right? And, and you know, you, you pick up, and, and, and I think this is part of the importance of your work, um, Asha, is that, that there are many folks who, because of the, some of the experiences that we've said, will never venture into parks, never venture into camping, never venture into fishing, um, into those experiences, and may not have ever had them before because of the experiences that many folks have had you know, in these spaces that have come back. Cause I'm just not even gonna mess with that. I'm already nervous about being in the outdoors. I'm uh, mm-hmm. then I'm going to even take this step. And, and, and what I'll offer is one of the things that, that we got over is once we understood camp lingo, once we understood park lingo, once you see how the parks are arranged and set up and you start to get a sense for how the, how things operate, there is all, there's this huge resource that's there and, and, and it's cheap. <laughs> it does not cost a whole lot of money that mm-hmm. if, if, um, in some cases, folks, what we were were seeing as kind of standoffishness were were folks waiting to see if we understood how this system, park system works, how this park thing works, and mm-hmm. that has been a doorway. Mm-hmm. So even even getting to know, like I I, I want to go back to when we were fishing with you at the pier, um, and I always remember. I think that was your nephew who who we were talking about. Um, and I was I was so nervous he was going to mm-hmm. hook me in the cheek, uh, but he didn't. It was all good. Um, but um, <laughs> I remember when we were, even when we were there, learning about the water condition and quality. Um, you had done some research around um, what was happening there, and I think we couldn't keep any of the fish, or you know, there's salmonella concerns, I think. Um, and that opened the door to me to even check water quality in lakes. Um, and so I know for a fact that I've been in conversations about lake quality with folks, and gotten these huge stories of folks on lakes who are concerned about runoff from farms and the, and the health of lakes. I would have never gotten to those conversations if you, if you hadn't introduced me to that concern and the waterways that we were in that event. And so, you know, there is a, there's a learning thing that we're starting to pick up that is also at play, that demonstrating some knowledge in that area, it just opens the door for some conversations that we may not have ever had before. And in doing so, now we get into all the other conversations that, that people are scared to ask each other about where we're from or, or what we know or even some, some stereotypes or assumptions that people... I mean, I've gotten into some really lengthy, unexpected, unwanted conversations, but they ended up good, right? <laughs> with folks who just never have experience with folks of color who see you coming into a park space and it's new and it's different and I just want to run over and grab you and, and, and pump you for all the information for my benefit as I can. And even that becomes a thing, right? So it's... <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot that goes that that goes along with all of this the travel. Mm-hmm. Anthony, what you said about water quality just makes me think of like, you know, it's like both. I'm pretty sure Minnehaha Creek and also the Mississippi River, like they don't recommend like like physically putting your body into those bodies of water like until a couple of days after rainfall. Um, just because of all of the pesticides and chemicals and garbage that are coming from our streets and our lawns and whatever, right into that water. Um, which, I mean, we've done a handful of fishing events now on, on the Mississippi river and it's just, you know, and folks are always asked like, 
can we eat these? And it's like, I don't think you want to. Like, no, we can't because we're on an educational fishing waiver license thing. But like also, like our water is really dirty and we need to do a better job of taking care of it. Yeah. Um, I know that um, with COVID, I think a lot more people are exploring the parks and outdoor spaces that Minnesota has to offer. And we're, we're lucky that we do have a lot of the spaces locally. Um, we, we're lucky we have a, a state that has a lot of outdoor spaces um, that, that is pretty accessible. Um, I'm, I was up in Finland, Minnesota, <laughs> and there's a little bait shop, and it's really, really hidden. It's actually run um, by a black woman. And so I went in there and talked to her, and she said, man, it's been so busy, just like tons of you selling out of stuff because everybody, you know, with COVID, everybody's like, well, what can we do? We can go outside, right? We only get a couple of months of really, really warm, great weather to do that in. And then, you know, the wildfires and stuff closed on the BWCA. I mean, you know, where the places, there was a, a couple of lakes that we were fishing two weeks later, the cabins around those lakes are gone, you know, with the fires and, I mean, how, how is that affecting, Asha, um, in your opinion, how is that affecting kind of our ability and interest to be outdoors now with, with so much going on with the environment? Yeah, it's interesting, right? So, and I'll tell you a quick story. I was at Crosby Farm Regional Park in St. Paul, and I, I don't remember if I was hiking or if I was like trail running, but I was going on the trail, the dirt trail along the river, and all of a sudden it just stopped right and like there was just no trail there and and what had happened this was a couple of years ago but what had happened is when we had all that flooding it like washed away that you know part of the trail and that trail then had to just kind of be diverted back into the forest or into the woods um and that for me is kind of that moment where I, it hit me of like it's not just that like polar bears are starving and and you know ice caps are melting and things. It's, it's, this stuff is happening here too. And it's impacting me and it's impacting, you know, the people that I care about and the people that are coming to this park. And like, you know, of course I've like went to catastrophe, catastrophizing thinking of like, and it's just going to keep eroding and we're not going to have a, a park anymore. And, you know, but it's like, there's some truth to that too, of like, yes, it absolutely is impacting, um, what we're able to do, you know, it's like we, we didn't cancel any programming this summer, I don't think, but I know that because we had, I'm trying to remember, I think it was uh, fishing. I think we had fishing and, and it was when all the fires were happening and the air quality even down here was really bad. Um, and, you know, in, in the kind of like, hey, heads up email that we sent to all everybody who had signed up, it was like, yo, this water, this air quality is, is really bad right now. Like we recommend bringing a mask and like, if you can't, if you can't join us, like that's okay. Like take care of you. And like, so I definitely think it's, it's impacted folks. And I think that, that we're able to see it now in more clear ways. Um, then maybe we would have been able to see it in the past. I think it's so in our face right now that it's hard to miss. Some of those are, are, we're exposing some things just that in, in community, right? For all the reasons why, why we may not get out, right? There's, there's, there's amazing reasons. And I, and, and I think you've, I've seen you, you post in, in um, about some of these things, right? There's a benefit to being outdoors. 
and that your body moves and some of the things that we're, especially in black community space, I mean, let me just speak for me. Um, one of the conversations in my community around getting out is the fact that our health, right? Uh, being able to move, you know, addressing issues of uh, blood pressure and things like that, that that are affected by experiences of racism, experiences of all that the studies are showing, right? One of the one of the uh, antidotes to that is being able to get out in nature and, and what it does to the body, what it does for stress and mindfulness and all of that. But then it gets compounded by the fact that now I can't go mm-hmm. out because of of the fires that are out there because we're also overrepresented in asthma and other environmentally affected conditions that that makes that problematic right so it's so even in something as just as yeah. much as get out and be more healthy there are are um, systemic racial experiences throughout um, you know baked into it that are also still at play and and I think about also too within community the stigma around the outdoors, right? How many times at the center at Arts Us, I'm always like, let's do a camping trip. Let's do this and stuff like that. How many kids come up and was like, well, we don't do that. Well, no, we have a long history of being outdoors throughout our history. You, It just may be that your family may not do that, right? Or as many people are like, well, I, I, I'll go out and I may hang outdoors, but I'm not going to camp, right? And and we, it, 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 to, it, to some extent, uh, we're unofficially those folks just from from exposure, um, space and now have have grown into like we're RVs. We'll we'll stay outside. You could drop us in ten thousand acres of woods and we'll come out fatter. Like it's it's a new it's a new it's a new space. But I continually routinely find folks who come up who who will have you know either I'm concerned about the air quality and so I need to stay inside. Um, allergies uh, trigger asthma and we have a higher rates of asthma and so we're not getting outside. A stigma around being in the outdoors. I mean, there's all these things coming up. And Asha, I'm, I'm just curious, you know, you're, you're in a space of having to constantly convince and, and pull folks out. <laughs> I'm just curious what, what some of your tactics have been to try to break through some of the stigma and to address some of the, the health uh, and equity concerns just to get folks outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so a part of in this last year, especially what I've done is not worry so much about the people that don't want to come outdoors, right? And focusing on the folks that do want to come outdoors, right? Because I think part of it is, um, and I've been mostly working with adults this last year too, which has been nice. Like I, I, you know, it's like, I consider myself a youth worker, but then after a year with BIPOC adults, I'm like, Ooh, I really like adults right now. Um, because folks want to do stuff and they're curious and they're willing to try new things, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I think what happens is, um, at least for me, is like when I see folks that look like me outside doing something, I'm like, oh, I can do that too, right? And so, because, right, like to your point, Anthony, of like, well, we, you know, we don't camp or we don't go outside or whatever, but it's like, as as you start seeing people, then you're like, oh, (laughs) maybe we do, maybe we do camp, maybe we do, maybe we are outside, right? And like, you know, we can see that in the media and marketing, like, you know, it's, I remember, um, a couple of years ago, I was doing a, a, a speech at a conference and, or a presentation at a conference and, and said something about like, you know, the REI models in the, in the REI catalogs don't look anything like hmm. me, but now they do, right? Like now they look like all three of us, right? Um, and so it's like, so m- like the marketing media folks have caught on a little bit. Um, I think 
where there's an opportunity and, and where my work is kind of headed right now is towards um, developing the um, like technical skills of folks in the BIPOC community um, so that they and we can become, you know, the next trip leaders like, or, you know, camping leaders or, you know, that we're the ones running the programs. Because for me, it's like, you know, back, I don't know, five or 10 years ago when I wanted to like work in outdoor education, you know, it's like I didn't have the credentials that they were looking for, right? It's like, you know, it's like my resume, like all I could put on there is like, oh, I've camped with my girlfriend a lot this summer, you know, and like that didn't count. They don't care about that, right? And so, and so, you know, trying to, we have some funding that we'll use to, you know, help fund certifications like things like wilderness first aid or wilderness first responder and, um, you know, some like rock climbing certifications and like how to become an archery teacher. And so that, so that we have folks who oh, look like dope. us leading us. Right. And so that's been, that's been a critical part of the programming that I've been involved in this last year is that every single BIPOC program that we're doing is led by somebody who identifies as black indigenous or a person of color. Um, so not only do we get to see ourselves reflected in the teacher or the instructor, right. But we're also then bringing in folks who may not have had the opportunity to, to teach or to lead, right? I can think of one woman, um, who she wanted to do, uh, wooden spoon carving. She was like, we should, we should do that down at the river. It'd be really like, you know, meditative and, and we could connect it to water quality. And I was like, awesome. Like, we need a, we need a, somebody in community that can teach it. And she's like, well, I've done it a bunch, but I've never taught it. So like she went back to her organization and they taught her how to teach it. And then she taught a group of like 15 of us how to carve wooden spoons. Right. And so it's like, yeah, I think that's, that to me is the part that makes this kind of programming unique and that makes it just better. Right. I think we're, it just feels better, right? I love that. There are some programs out there, like DNR has some programs too, like I Can Camp and I Can Fish and, and other programming. Um, Project Get Outdoors is another one that's really aiming at trying to um, get youth really interested in what's around them um, outside of the, the classroom where, you know, I mean, when I was in school, we never got to go outside. <laughs> We like, I think once one of our teachers had us do like an outdoors class and it was like the best class ever because mm -hmm. we got to sit outside, you know, I mean, there's just there's we didn't really have that many opportunities. Uh, of course, I, I grew up in the hood, so I don't know if other schools had the opportunity. I know I was just telling my husband this. Um, my little sister, after we had moved out of the hood, um, her school took her to oh, yeah. Itasca State Park where they got to, you know, see the headwaters and stuff. And I've never seen them. And I remember I was just telling my husband that I was like, oh, man, she was so lucky because, like, the most we ever got to do was, like, go to Valley Fair. And that was, like, as outdoorsy <laughs> as as we got in, in elementary school, you know. And so hearing about these programs that are, like, really trying to, you know, encourage going outdoors and teaching outdoors and teaching stuff that you can do outdoors because everything I learned – I learned from my mom and dad and, you know, everything they learned was from 
living in the jungles, right? <laughs> living in the mountains of Laos. And so if you, you know, if, if I didn't have them to teach me the joy of camping and fishing, I don't know if I would be into as into it as I am right now. Uh, Lee, you, you just, you just made, reminded me that, you know, one of the resources that we have in the, with the DNR, I, I love our DNR. Let me just say that first and foremost, because because we've traveled in other places, I've seen um, state DNRs um, in in different places, and I just love the way that our rangers and the parks engage, particularly when we participate in some of the activities. So we do, you know, regular camping with our friends group every year now, and it's we do a spring one, we try to do a summer one, and we do a fall one. The fall one is the big one because it happens in conjunction with Halloween and the particular park state park that we go has really good Halloween programming. Everybody, you know, it's kind of, we get on the same page, right? It's, it's, it's one of those places. You, you notice he's not telling us where, cause he doesn't want the rest of us to all of a sudden exactly. show up. I'm like, I must have missed that invite in the mail, you know, you, you kind of mm-hmm. got to reserve it almost a year in advance because it fills up because it's been known for this fun Halloween um, experience and we pull out like we and we camp when I say camp I'm reading that as loosely as possible so we don't we glamp uh, and so you know there's air mattresses and generators and, and and you know a purist a camping purist is not this ain't the camp for you like we have good food and creature comforts and all of that <laughs> but one of the things that I love is the rangers is corny as as the the handful of folks who really you know there's corny for corny's sake and then there's corny because you just really love your job and you nerd out on it and it's so corny that it's good right that's the kind of experience and like I remember <laughs> our kids sitting around and us having this good time at this nighttime event um, where they were teaching us about owls and the different owl calls and then all of a sudden the kids are listening for oh that's a barn owl and that's a that's a gray owl and that's that's a horned owl and there's there's just all of these different experiences that are part of it and our DNR is rich with these systems i remember we went to um i think it, was, it wasn't interlocking i think it was St. Croix and we got this you see this whole demonstration around wolves um and 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 wolf habitats and stuff like that and so it, if we get over the hump of just being outside in the first place, which is what I th- what I think your programming does, Asha, is it is it pulls it, it does pull some folks out. Then you get access to this rich resource, and it's funny because the people who are the most curious that I've noticed in these spaces have been the the BIPOC folks. When I look at and see who's talking to the ranger afterwards, it's these mm-hmm. it's it's folks who 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 are clearly this is this is not an everyday occurrence, right? There's some of us who grow up with this resource as, a, as something that's just ours and that that we have we expect, and then there's there's some of us who are learning about this resource and didn't even know that we had access to it before, for all the reasons that we've talked about, and it turns into this beautiful thing, and so I just highly recommend it. I grew up here. I grew up here, and I didn't know about those programs, like. Um, you know, we we always camped when we were younger, and um, we never realized that, like, if you went to a state park, that there was programming there that you could sign up for and you could participate in. I honestly didn't know that until I was an adult. It was like, you go in, you buy your sticker, you set up your camp, and then you just do your own thing. It was never, we never really realized that, oh, you can go to the visitor center and see all these classes and things that they do, until I started working with Whitewater State Park. And I was actually down in Whitewater shooting um, a session where they were teaching kids how to fish. And there was a session about um, teaching kids about the monarch butterflies that were there. And I was shooting this and I was going, 
man, I wish they had this when I was young. And you know what? They did. But we didn't know. You know, we we were too young to know. My parents, you know, really didn't speak or read English, you know. And so it wasn't like they were able to say, oh, they're doing butterflies at noon. Let's go and do that. But there are, like you said, there are these resources that a lot, even I, born and raised, uh, didn't know existed until I was an adult. What I noticed is, I don't know if it was because there was training or the experience of it, but those rangers talk to us and engage with us in a way that seems aware of experiences of BIPOC folks in it. Because um, I, I, they've, I've seen them interrupt predictable patterns. Um, I've seen them take complaints about us in a site being too loud, meaning mild, everybody in their mama's loud, <laughs> but somehow we are the ones that get complained, complained about. I've seen them handle that and be like, no, I'm not going to accept that. And so I, I say that very specifically to give that shout out. Asha, to, to Lee's point about the, the programming space going down there, is for our city parks, there's programming very similarly in some of our city parks, um, isn't there? Yes. I mean, we have um, our natural resources team um, does, does like restoration work and some education programming. Um, so, yes. And uh, I want to jump back a little bit to something that you both kind of referenced, right? Um, Hali, you were talking about like you learned a lot of like outdoor skills from your folks who learned it from the jungle. Um, Anthony, you're talking about like the purists, the camping purists would shake their heads, you know, or hands at, at the generators and air mattresses. But like that's, I think, part of the the challenge and, and part of the narrative I want to flip is that like the outdoor skills that somebody learned in a jungle, those are just as valid as the outdoor skills that you learn at National Outdoor Leadership School or at YMCA camp or Outward Bound or wherever, right? Um, I was at, at that PGM1 conference. There was a woman and I don't, I don't remember her name. I think, I think her name was Angela Park. Um, I, I'll have to look that up too, but she said something about like, you know, like, um, environmentalists and, and conservationists, like, she's like, you know, the, we, we assume that to, to be one, you have to look a certain way, but she's like, but you know, she's like, Asian grandma's <laughs> been on. recycling the, the, or reusing the plastic tubs that, you know, all of our food comes in, like, she's like we've been, but nobody looks at, at the Asian grandmas and is like, this is an environmentalist or a conservationist or, you know, or, or whatever. Right. Like, and which mm-hmm. isn't, that's not fair. Right. Like, right. And so, and Anthony, like when you're talking about like, you know, the purists, the camping purists, like, I, I feel like I used to be one of those. It was like, you know, it's only camping if you're hiking in and carrying all your stuff and whatever. And it's like, no, like it's whatever it, whatever is meaningful to you. It's like, if you were going to have to carry all your stuff out and go hike a bunch of miles just to set up camp and you hated it, mm-hmm. right? Like you wouldn't go back. Right. right so it's right. like, make it what it is, what you need it to be, because that's where where and how and why people will keep going back. Right. And that's how we do have that, that, that change or that, that awareness and that desire for change of, you know, it's like when folks feel connected to, to the land and to the water, when it's accessible to folks in whatever way that accessibility comes for them. Right. Then it's, you want to take care of the land. Then it's, you want to, you know, 
be good stewards. I can say for myself personally, it's like after, you know, doing these hikes and these outdoor events for the last year, it's like, you know, I, I never remembered to bring like a trash bag with me. And so we would just keep walking past things and, you know, pick up some stuff, but some stuff we just wouldn't pick up. And like, you know, it's like now it's like every time I'm out, I've got my little trash picker upper and my trash bag because, you know, it's it's everywhere. Right. And so it's like my mindset has changed. And even even uh, it was a week or two ago at, at therapy I, in the in the summertime, I do my therapy outdoors. Right. Uh, and so we were me and my therapist were walking and, you know, a couple weeks ago, I brought the little trash trash uh, grabber tool and a bag and we, you know, we filled it up. And then the next week when we met, like she had brought some like rubber gloves and like her own trash bag. And it was like, this is amazing. Right. So it's like whatever we can do and however we access this, however we access the outdoors and relate to the outdoors, like that matters. That, yeah, I I, I absolutely feel that. You got me thinking about the, you know, when I feel most Minnesotan is is in these outdoor space moments. I think um, I have never been more when when it goes well because you know I, I, obviously there are those moments where we encounter um, mm-hmm. unwelcomeness, right? Um, and and we've talked a little bit about that. But in the times when it goes well and we're just all enjoying that outdoor space together, there is a level of ownership that comes along with it, a, a, a level of citizenship in this state. Mm-hmm. That that truly feels well. I mean, when you're sitting under the stars and on on this native land, <laughs> and um, you know you've just cooked a meal mm-hmm. over a fire, and you're in 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 my case, it's the ribeye steaks. When it, whenever we get a chance to do that, if we if we can afford it, you know, we we'll get a couple of ribeyes and throw it on that wood fire and, and just eat it primally and just be out there, you know. Still with waiting that. Sorry for that for invite, Anthony. Still, Still waiting. All right, man. all right. I got you. I got you. <laughs> but I think you have an amazing point right there in terms of the stewardship. I feel Minnesota. Minnesotan when I'm fishing these lakes. I feel mm-hmm. Minnesotan when I'm when I'm when I'm in this in this land. And I feel Minnesotan when I see us do things to this land that violates and jeopardizes that for future generations. And so I think you you got you you have an amazing point right there in terms of that stewardship that comes by being in these outdoor spaces. And it's it's really true. You know, the last couple of years my family have been doing um family camping trips, which we've always done, but now, you know, the siblings have kids. And so there's niece, lots of nieces and nephews and the young kids and being able to take them out. And I think for me personally, I mean, the camping and the fishing, especially with the camping, it's like, it, it brings, it, I feel closer mm-hmm. to my parents when we do those things. Cause a lot of times my dad would be like, Oh, in the old country, we do it this way, you know? And I, I'm learning things that I've never known you know, like my dad used to climb trees and knock down bees' n- nests for fun. Like that's what they did because they had no other form of enjoyment. See so who can get the most things, you know? And just like hearing these great stories are like if it's raining and my dad somehow fashions a shelter while it's raining at the campsite, you know, and just learning those sorts of things. And my earliest memory of fishing or my earliest memory of being outdoors was – um my dad would ask us to uh, go to my mom's garden in the backyard and flood it mm. so that the worms would come out. And then we would collect the worms and get up early the next morning and we'd go fishing. Uh, but we were really poor and we didn't have fishing poles. So our goal was to go out yep. and find sticks. Mm-hmm. The first thing we'd do, my sisters and I, and mm-hmm. then we'd tie a string to it. 
And I remember once hooking my shorts <laughs> when I went back to cast. And just like everybody laughing. And then like my sister one time, she was, because we didn't have reels, she couldn't get the fish in. And so she just let go of her stick. And then she was like, oh, my fishing pole. And then she like went in after it. And we were like, it's just a stick, you know? And so those are like my earliest memories and the, and I cherish them so much. So what are your earliest memories? Ooh, um, I'm going to have to say for my uncles, my uncle um, worked at the Ford plant. And so he mixed up, you know, he mixed it with, with, with folks who had cabins and all those kinds of things. And so he was able to kind of give me entry into, into some of that world as a kid. Um, and I'll never forget catching my first real fish um, because we, um, we got to the shore and there was a couple of native bros, um, and, and and we were in Hackensack. We were in Hackensack, Minnesota. There's a couple of 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 native bros who were on the on the shore, and they were throwing a line in with no reel, and just pulling it in, and and they were yanking. I mean, they just. I was like, I want to do what they're doing, right? But we but so so we get over to there, and they show me how to cut how to gut the fish, right? And they showed me how to do it quickly so that I could keep it moving. Um, and I had caught this nice size northern and they showed me, you know, taught, they taught me about it, whatever, and stuff like that. And then we 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 kicked up a fire and ended up like my uncle and them ended up hanging out a lot and, you know, tossing a few back and having a really good time. I had to go to bed because I still had a bedtime. But the just the the act of the exchange that I saw, it, it opened up a major door. And I see when things are going well, I see that learning exchange happening in outdoor space. So that, that my earliest memory is, was, was learning how, you know, when we are at our best, we trade knowledge and information. We tell each other what colors are biting. We tell each other, you know, where the fish is. Like, there's like this, mm -hmm. this shorthand that even if we know that we're diametrically opposed on a lot of different issues, there seems to be this thing that cuts through there. And, and my earliest memory was a demonstration of that between my uncle and these native brothers on the shore. I feel like for me, my, my earliest memories are also around fishing. Um, mine, I feel like, is not as as um, inspiring as yours. The one I remember very deeply is fishing up at, at my grandparents' cabin, catching a perch, who I'm pretty sure I named him Fred, and then having a fish fry and just sobbing throughout the entire <laughs> dinner because we were eating Fred. It was horrible. It's like I've never named a fish ever since because like it was, oh, right. So, so there were some lessons in that for me and I'm sure lessons for my grandfather too. Um, and yeah, Lee, when you were talking about um, fishing with a stick, like me and these two brothers, Leonard and Lance, we used to ride our bicycles down to Crosby when we were like probably too little to be riding our bicycles down to Crosby by ourselves, hmm. but like crossing that big street. Yeah. I mean, maybe there just weren't as many cars back then, but like um, we would go down basically with like a can of corn and maybe some hooks if we had them, but we would always find fishing line that had been thrown out or, you know, whatever on the ground down there. And we'd make our poles and one of, I don't remember if it was Lance or Leonard, one of them caught like a snapping turtle one time. And we were like, well, we, we, we're, we're out, <laughs> you know, we can't, we can't take this one home, but, um, yeah, just lots of, uh, lots of really good outdoor time when I was a kid for sure. Let's not forget that, um, summertime is not the only time to do outdoors things. <laughs> 
in Minnesota, <laughs> right? We talk a lot about um, we only get a couple of months of really good weather, but there's there's winter activities as well. I uh, I didn't fish, but I shot um, some kids ice fishing for the first time. So I've never gone ice fishing because I don't like being cold. Um, but I had a job, I had a gig. So I, I drove down to Winona and met a bunch of kids who were learning how to ice fish and like watching um, some of the, so it was like kids of color. And then there are these like old guys yeah. who are like, they were saying they come there all the time. This was their spot. And they came and, and did the hole, <laughs> made the hole for us because we were struggling. Mm-hmm. And there was that moment of like, you know, wherever this guy comes from in his overalls and, and farmer's hat, like he saw that us kids were t- struggling to make the hole in the ice and he came over and he helped us and he showed us how to do it. You know, I mean, it was like it was really a sweet, sweet moment. And I, I love hearing about those moments that happen. And I love hearing stories from you guys. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I want to start s- snowshoeing. I don't know where to start. That was one of the things, like, we live across the street from a park. We're by, um, we're by a golf course that's closed during the winter. We have dogs that love to play. So it's like, how can we merge those and snowshoeing or uh, cross-country skiing is an option. But even, like, even we don't know where to start on oh. that. But summer is not the only time. I got Asha, you. are you going to take me out? Yeah, I got you. All we right. did this last winter. <laughs> we had a really nice um, partnership with our special services team at the city who let us use uh, skis and snowboards for free uh, over at Como. And so we had some folks volunteer to lead BIPOC skiing uh, and BIPOC cross-country skiing and, and BIPOC snowboarding. Um, and we did, you know, is, I don't know, maybe like a 90 minute session. We did them once a week for four or six weeks or something. And, and, you know, it was great because folks got to go out and try it. And if they hated it, they never had to come back, but if they liked it, they could come back. Um, and it was, you know, a nice way to come or to try something out without committing to it and knowing that like, mm-hmm. you know, you're in a group of folks that look like you. And, and I think I would say that most of our participants felt like they could take, uh, bigger risks or bigger chances, even just showing up and putting skis on. Um, so yeah, we got you there. One, one thing, uh, and tell me if we can go, go this direction of, of just the, right. So it's like, yes, we, like, we have a long winter here, right? And I think a lot of people, um, mm-hmm. just, it's easy to like kind of hibernate in your house or, or wherever you're living. Um, and, and there's, you know, it's, there's that saying of like, it's not bad weather, it's bad clothing. Right. But I think there's a, uh, there's an opportunity for a little bit of like a, almost a reeducation for folks of like, you don't need to have the $500 jacket, right. Winter jacket to be able to go outside and stay warm. Right. Like Mm -hmm. you can have a, you know, a fleece, a fleece hoodie and like a windbreaker. And as long as you're moving, you'll probably be okay. Right. And, you know, in a hat or whatever, like, or things that like, you know, like I didn't know this for a long time until I don't know the last few years of like the bigger, the sole on, on your boot or your shoe or whatever, uh, the warmer your feet will be essentially because like, you know, ground or the cold comes up from the ground. And if you have real thin soles on your shoes, 
or your boots, like that, mm-hmm. that cold is going to come right up into your body. So having a bit more of a barrier. So, you know, it's like you don't need the $300 boots. You just need, you know, maybe another insole in the boots that you already have. Right. Like I just I think there's there's ways around it. And I think so often it's like we we being like anybody. Right. Can can say, well, I don't have the right equipment or the right, you know, the right apparel for it. And it's like but it doesn't have to be that fancy. I think, I mean, for me, one of the, I think I, I think I was shamed and I don't Hmm. think that I really know, realized I was shamed until they were having this conversation. Um, We did an elementary school, we did get to go to Afton during the winter to ski and I didn't have snow pants. And so I wore jeans and I didn't, I mean, I wasn't prepped in how we were supposed to dress to go. I was soaking wet by the time mm-hmm. we got home. And I remember other kids were like, well, you should have these snow pants, you know, and stuff. And I was like, I don't, you know, we don't know what that is. We don't have the money to buy all eight of us pairs of snow pants. We're growing, you know. And then um, when I was in high school, I was part of this youth leadership initiative that was sponsored by the Rotary Club. And they took us all out to Camp St. Croix mm-hmm. over in Wisconsin. It's a great camp. So they took us for like this leadership training. And uh, we were supposed to bring our own sleeping bags. And I put my sleeping bag in a trash bag because we had this one sleeping bag that we <laughs> all in the family used. Uh, and it no longer had the bag and no longer had the cord. And so we just rolled it up and we put it in a trash bag. And I remember being shamed at camp by the adults. Um for bringing my stuff in a trash bag. And I think ever since then, I mean, maybe that's why I stopped talking to people when I'm outside. It's like, you know, I just remember that feeling of like, I'm, I'm poor and I don't belong in these spaces because I'm not able to equip myself in the same way that everybody else is. And when they point it out to me, I feel ashamed. And I hope that doesn't happen anymore, but, you know, it probably does. And, and so, you know, these, the BIPOC outdoors group, just like hearing about going out with folks from your own community, you know, it means it's, it's, it feels like you can be more authentic, your more authentic self in those situations. Yeah. And I think that that's again, why it's important who's leading it. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, I don't know. Maybe I just have more faith in our own communities that like we're not going to put somebody down for not having, you know, the 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 next best thing or, you know, or the best thing. Right. Like we're going to say, hey, this is great. Like, let's go. It's, you know, this will keep you warm. And we got an extra sleeping bag over here that we brought just in case. Like, yeah, I'm sorry that that happened to you, that it's not surprising. And it it's really unfortunate at the same time. You know, that. That, you know, one of the challenges for anything that we're trying to to increase exposure, increase the opportunity, because there's this is, this is a wonderful, abundant resource that's here, is how fragile it is for BIPOC folks coming into a, a, a space, that there are so many things that can that can derail somebody's participation or experience. And it and it and it and it pains me to hear that, but I've seen it. I've seen it happen. I've seen folks 
you know, out in these spaces come up and say, well, really, you should have X, Y, and Z. And, if these are, you know, you got somebody out there with real basic equipment and, and, and somehow the conversation is not knowledge share. I'm glad we're here. Because there's a difference between, hey, you know what? I've seen that. You, I saw that your thing leaked. Here's how I approach it or here's a, here's a way I've, I've gotten around it. That's one thing, right? And I, and I welcome and I know that that happens, right? Mm-hmm. But then there's a space that, that there is the mm-hmm. space of, of, oh, you don't do it the right way and therefore X, Y, and Z and you fill in the blank. And if I'm already, you know, working to try to get this experience and then I encounter that, that's one of those derail moments. It's one of those moments where it's like, oh, well, this is confirmation mm-hmm. that I'm not welcome here or that that this isn't for me. And it's, and and unfortunately our history, our inertia has so much of that trapping in there that it can, it can be precarious trying to, trying to, to make sure folks have a just quality experience on the flip side. Every, when folks have that good experience, they come back, right. And they keep going with it. And so, you know, I, I really hope that, that as folks engage outdoors or folks who are listening here, who are like, you know, I, I wanted to do more outdoors. There's a growing number of folks who are having positive experiences and being able, as Asha is, is demonstrating for us in the city of St. Paul, you know, that there that this space is for us, that this space, um, there, there's, there's ways to engage around this. And the more we do it, the more we have access. And for St. Paul, it's really important. We're the home. We're the seat of the sacred Dakota origin story, the Bodote, the confluence of the Mississippi and Minnesota rivers, right? We have one of the most sacred sites for Dakota peoples on there around Pike Island. You can go in and, and, and touch the trees and see where the, where the barges tied up and see the grooves that are there. I mean, there's, we've got this rich history and it'd be a shame for, for folks to have more barriers in front of them by, to access those off of something as simple as not having the state of the art equipment or, or, you know, the, REI's finest or the thing that cost $500 and I got somebody who's really knows what they're doing who paid $50 and has just as much fun if not more because it's it's worn in and we know how it works right <laughs> like mm-hmm. I would I just I just hate to see that that can be a barrier so okay so Ezra you know we've hit fall um what are you guys looking forward to um, as far as like doing stuff outdoors, I'm hoping to catch some fall colors going up north again in a week or so. Uh, my mom was like, why do you guys always go up north? What is up north that you guys are always going up there for? And why don't you ever take us? <laughs> we do sometimes. Um, so we're, you know, planning another fishing trip up north before the snow hits. That's what we're looking forward to. I think, um, so the Como fire pits are really well maintained. And I know that they're present at other parks too. Um, but what I like about the Como fire pits is that they're big, huge rings and they're just, they're safer for, for a family of folks. Um, and, and we, we teach how to build fires, um, you know, to, to some of the folks in our family and in church community and things like that. That fall weather is really nice for it. There's just something about the the heat of the fire, the fact that you could you can heat yourself in that way. The food is off the chain. I'm a sucker for cinnamon and 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 any juice. Um, <laughs> not any juice. Cinnamon and apple juice, right? Cinnamon and apples just just go well. Um, hot chocolate, that kind of thing. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Something that the St. Paul Parks and Recs did last this past winter season, which I thought was phenomenal, um, is the skates. Ice skates were free. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, talk about something that I just didn't do as a family. Is I didn't ice skate. Like, that wasn't a thing. And so we got to go to, I think, um, was it Edgecombe Park? Um, was the one that we st- we frequented. And they had this nice ice trail. So there's hockey spaces for folks who do hockey. But then there's like a rink, a little ring that they make, a little ice ring. And it's, it's um, they even got a Zamboni out there. I don't even know how they got it out there. Um, but they did. And we learned how to ice skate. Not well. And, and I got a lot of bruises and aches to show for it. <laughs> but it ended up being ridiculous amounts of fun. And it's not something that I do, <laughs> right? And my family did. And so I think I'm looking forward, oddly enough, to continuing to learn how to ice skate. Well, one thing, so in line a little bit with fall colors is uh, I'm hoping that we're going to do uh, a watercolor painting class um, using water from the Mississippi River. Uh, we did this last year, both at Hidden Falls and at Indian Mountains Park. We had like 15 easels set up and like a bunch of BIPOC folks painting, which is not who you normally see at the river painting. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. We're going to do a BIPOC queer hike uh, okay. for National Coming Out Day in October. Um that's yeah, right, intersectionality yeah, yeah. and like, you know, for me as a queer person of color, being outdoors, um, there's a few different, you know, things to navigate. Um, so we're going to do that. Uh, hopefully, I can't say for sure, but hopefully we're going to pilot a really tiny uh, camping program in which we have BIPOC mentors and families who have camped before. Um kind of being the the buddy of the new BIPOC family campers who have never camped before um, so that it, you know, again, can be folks learning from and with people within the, their own communities. Uh, so that's what I'm looking forward to. Asha, thank you so much for joining us today. I know we're missing Luz and Don, but I thought this was a great conversation and learning all the sorts of things that you're you're leading and hopefully I'll be able to come along for some of the winter ones. So thank you so much for being here and thanks for the work that you're doing within our community. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm Halili, owner of The Other Media Group and producer of Counter Stories. Anthony Galloway, executive director of Arts Us and senior partner at Dendros Group. And our guest? Asha Schaffner, uh, environmental and outdoor education coordinator with St. Paul Parks and Recreation. Thanks for joining us. This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the other media group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.